beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus, uh, this is God's holy, infallible, and abiding word, so give your full attention to it. Genesis 22, beginning in 16. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Let's turn now to James 2. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Let us pray. O Lord our God, uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So let me just say it. I know every one of you is thinking it. This is a hard passage. Luther threw his Bible across the room because of this passage right here. He thought that James should be taken out of the canon of Scripture. Why? Because it sounds like he's arguing against Paul. And you know, we tend to side with Paul, don't we? Um, as Protestant folks, we're all about justification by faith alone apart from works. Uh, we side with Paul, very Pauline. Uh, why? Because we love to highlight God's grace, and that's right. Grace is supremely important, but James is not against grace. Uh, and so let me make it clear at the outset. James is not opposing Paul. 
They're in complete agreement in the Lord. You should read the book of Acts and you'll see. And so what's James doing here? He's probably opposing people who were, who were misusing Paul. Certain followers of Paul who abused his doctrine of justification by faith alone. Uh, we call this cheap grace. You know, I'm saved by faith. Now I can live whatever way I want to. Uh, it's pernicious. And it's contrary to Paul's teaching. But not too much has changed, have they? All day, all day long, there are people who proclaim justification by faith alone, yet live like demons. They make a mockery of faith in Christ. But according to James, they actually don't have faith. At least the kind of faith that saves. Uh, that's what James is after in our passage. He wants, to, he wants us to see what living faith looks like. And so, uh, this morning, our simple point is this. A true and living faith involves works of mercy. I'll say it again. A true and living faith involves works of mercy. And so here's what I think faith is according to James. Uh, faith is a holistic and embodied allegiance to Jesus Christ. For James, true faith does not divorce what is believed and what is lived. Because belief and behavior for him are inseparable. They always go together. They're always uh, walking together hand in hand. And so in these initial verses, James is critiquing a kind of faith that isn't alive. A kind of faith that isn't real. I want you to notice how James addresses the people. Not as strangers, but as what? As brothers. For him, this isn't ultimately a theological dispute, uh, you know, to be had in an ivory tower somewhere. James is deeply pastoral. Because he cares deeply about their conformity to Jesus Christ. And so that's the way we should approach this passage. Not, for the, not just for the sake of theological accuracy, but ultimately for Christoformity. Uh, that is, to be conformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus, who is the substance of our faith. Uh, James begins with a few rhetorical questions. He asks, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, you see, James assumes you know the answers to these questions. No and no. A faith that is without works is no good. Uh, because at the end of the day, it can't save you. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. It doesn't matter how much you profess to have faith. It doesn't matter how much you name it and claim it. If your faith doesn't have works, then it can't save you. Now James uses the word works here quite a bit. Uh, so it's important we know what he's talking about. Works in James is, as one writer puts it, a life of loving God and loving others, and loving others means deeds of compassion toward those in need. That's exactly right, uh, because we saw this already earlier in this chapter. Loving our neighbors as yourselves is to fulfill the royal law. 
And what does that look like for James? It looks like showing mercy to the poor and to the oppressed. And so a faith that doesn't love neighbor can't save. And so far, James has actually mentioned salvation just once. And that's in um, chapter 1, verse 21, where he says, The way we are saved is by turning away from unrighteousness and receiving the implanted word with meekness. I mean, do you know what that's called? That's called repentance and faith. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. According to Jesus, faith simultaneously repents and believes. It turns from unrighteousness to righteousness. I think that's just another way to say that faith includes works. Otherwise, it's no good and it can't save. But what does it look like to have a kind of faith that doesn't have works? Uh, James gives us an example in verses 15 and 16. Uh, This illustration would be super funny if it wasn't so tragic. Uh, Imagine seeing a brother or a sister, James says. Uh, The ESV says they're poorly clothed. I'm not a big fan of that because I think it's too modest. Uh, I like the King James better. It says, if a brother or a sister be naked, this person is nude. It's in the buff, you know. Uh, They have no clothes on. Uh, What's the image of nakedness? Well, it's an image of shame and defenselessness. Uh, But not only is this person naked, uh, they also don't have food. Their belly is grumbling, you know, super loud. They're starving. Hunger is a sign of what? Of weakness and vulnerability. Uh, If I could describe this person's situation in one word, it would be desperation. No clothes, no food, naked and hungry. I mean, think about that. Desperation. How would you respond to this brother or sister? Well, this is where tragedy strikes. James says, one of you, right? Someone who is part of the church and claims to have faith. One of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled. What is that? That's that's how hypocrites talk, don't they? Go in peace. Uh, You know, I say this every now and then after the benediction. Uh, It's the last thing I say uh, because it's a farewell. It's like saying goodbye, right? Uh, But that's the first thing that comes out of this person's mouth. Goodbye. He sees them naked and hungry and then he says goodbye. (laughs) That's a good way to end a conversation, right? But that's not a very good way to start one. Uh, how would you like it if I came up to you and you're, and you're needy and the first thing I say to you is goodbye? That's insulting. That's insulting. But then this person says, be warm and filled. Uh, that's his response to his brother's or sister's nakedness and hunger. Oh, you know, God be with you. May he warm your cold body and may he fill your empty belly. It all sounds pious and religious, but it's empty words. Because James says that this person does nothing for their bodily needs, for his brother and sister's bodily needs. It really reminds me of what John says. 
Um, in John, first, 1 John 3, he says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so this person says some good sounding stuff, but he does nothing. He is, like a, he is like the person who shows partiality in the beginning of the chapter. For James then, a faith that shows partiality and does not show works of mercy to the poor is a dead faith. That's James' conclusion. In fact, he'll say it again at the end of the chapter. Faith without works is dead. It is lifeless. It is a stinky and dirty corpse. Uh, you know, James mentioned death before. Uh, he said that our evil desires bring forth sin, and sin gives birth to what? To death. And so what's James saying? Faith without works is dead. What brings forth death? Well, it's sin. Which means uh, it is a kind of faith that continually surrenders to sin, giving forth death. No wonder it's dead. It's a dead kind of faith. But I wonder, in James' example, uh, why does this person not do anything for his brother or sister? I think maybe it's because a living faith is actually costly. It demands costly sacrifice from us. It calls us to fiercely love our neighbors. It takes hard work. And so it's much easier to give in to our sin. Because how can we possibly say our faith is alive and is active when we ignore the deeds and cries, the needs and cries of the poor and oppressed among us? Well, we can't. A faith that doesn't show mercy is not living. It is dead. Uh, but James uh, knows that someone is going to disagree with him. There always are people who disagree, aren't there? He says, why can't someone just have faith and another person have works? Aren't they equally acceptable before God? You have faith and I have works? What's the big deal? What's James' what's James's response? No to the no, right? Show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. Why? Because God will never ever accept a workless faith. A faith that doesn't also involve uh, mercy and compassion. A faith that doesn't also love neighbor as himself. But in the same way, God will never, ever accept works without faith. Works that are not rooted and done in the Lord Jesus Christ. Works that are not founded in Christ's work. And so to prove this, uh, James attacks the faith of demons. Uh, James says, uh, you do know demons believe that God is one, right? I mean, you know their th they, they know their theology probably better than you do. Uh, look, they confess the Shema like you do. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know, it's a passage that every Jew recited three times a day. 
I mean, you know that God, that God is one, James says. Good. But so do demons. Uh, we see this very thing in Luke 4. Uh, so there was a man with an unclean demon hanging out in the synagogue. Uh, listen to what Jesus says to him. Or, or the demon says to Jesus, actually. He says, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, the demon knew who Jesus was. He confessed Jesus to be the Holy One of God, that Jesus is one with the God of Israel, that Jesus was the substance of the very thing that the Jews were confessing, the Shema. He knew all of that, and he shuddered. Have you come to destroy us, Jesus? You see, for James, reciting the Shema, reciting creeds, confessions, knowing your catechisms is not an indication that you have a living faith. And that's scary for us, right? As, as OPC people. Because they're not enough. You can say all the right things, but merely saying the right things doesn't mean you have a living faith. Just saying the right things actually puts you closer to the faith of demons. Because it is an empty faith. It's like a barren tree that gives no fruit. It is useless and unproductive, deserving to be thrown into the fire, as Jesus says. And so let me ask you this. How different is your faith than demons? Does your faith translate to mercy, compassion, and love? Or do you rely on simply on what you know? I think that's a real tendency in our denomination. Beloved, don't be so obsessed with learning that you would neglect to love. Our theology should lead us to love one another. Uh, here's one writer, uh, an ancient commentator. He says this, Those who love God show that love in their actions. Because without love, faith is empty. With love, it is the faith of a Christian. Without love, the faith of a demon. What kind of faith do you have? So, in the remaining verses, James continues to prove that a living faith cannot be without works. That faith and works are inseparable. Uh, to do this, James uses Abraham and Rahab as examples, uh, very unlikely allies to be sure, uh, because one is a Jew and another is a Gentile, one is a patriarch and another is a prostitute, one is a male and another is a female, super opposite, right? Uh, but in both, James wants us to see what obedient faith looks like. Faith that is alive and kicking. And so James begins with the example of Abraham. Uh, that James should use Abraham as an example uh, shouldn't come as a surprise. 
Uh, why? Because Abraham is the patriarch of the faith. He is an important figure in both Judaism and in Christianity. Abraham is our father, James says. Uh, you remember in John 8, uh, Jesus was telling people that unless you abide in his word, you will remain enslaved to sin. Uh, well, that wasn't a popular message. Uh, do you remember the Jewish leader's reaction? Uh, they were insisting that they were already children of Abraham. They didn't need to be set free. Uh, but listen to what Jesus said to them. He says, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Uh, you see, Jesus rebukes them for not doing the works of Abraham. He says they are actually children of the devil. Uh, no wonder James is appealing to Abraham here. But here's what James says about Abraham. I think it might trip us out as Protestants, right? Uh, look at verse 21. He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? That should scare you, right? Abraham, our father, was justified by works. I want you to see that James is using that word justified differently than Paul. Uh, for Paul, to be justified is to be declared righteous by God. Uh, James has no problem with that. Uh, but for James, uh, but James has something else in mind here. It's more in line with what Jesus says in Luke 7. He says this, Wisdom is justified by all her children. Uh, Jesus doesn't mean that wisdom has a right standing before God, right? But that wisdom shows itself to be true wisdom, proves itself to be wisdom when her children behave in accordance with it, right? That's what James has in mind here. Uh, so James' point is simply this. Those who have faith, living faith, will demonstrate it in the way they live. Well, if you know the story of Abraham, then you know that his faith was constantly tested. Because his faith always went hand in hand with works. God tested him through and through. Abraham, do you believe me? Then leave your country and your family and go to the land that I tell you. Abraham, do you believe me? Then wait for the son that I'm promising to you when you are super old. Abraham, do you believe me? Then sacrifice the only son that I've given you as a promise on the altar. All of Abraham's obedience made known his faith, that his faith was real and alive. But it was this act of giving up his son that preeminently demonstrated it. Uh, because true faith is costly. Uh, if Abraham wasn't willing to withhold his promised son, then surely his faith is alive. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews even says that Abraham believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. That's true faith. To believe that God will raise your beloved to life. That's true faith. 
You see, Abraham doesn't know anything about a faith that doesn't respond in obedience. He doesn't know anything about a faith that does not have works. That's why James says, faith was completed by his works. Uh, But if Abraham is not a surprising example, then Rahab is. Uh, Because who was Rahab? Well, Rahab was a Gentile. She was a a woman and a prostitute. Uh, She's an unlikely candidate for this. But James wants us to see that her faith wasn't that different than Abraham's. Because Rahab, like Abraham, had an obedient faith. A faith that was working. A faith that was vibrant and dynamic. But what did Rahab do? Uh, I think... Many of you already know the story, right? At the risk of her own life, she hid the spies of Israel from being captured. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews calls that faith. He says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. It's as if God was saying to her, Rahab, do you believe me? Then welcome and care for my people. Make sure they're not caught. They're not taken captured. And guess what? That's what Rahab did. She didn't hold back, even risking her life for God's people. That's faith. Uh, Remember what James just said about someone who thinks you can have faith without works. Remember his example. It's like someone who sees a naked and hungry brother or sister and does nothing for their needs. He doesn't welcome them. He says, go in peace. It's cold out there. Stay warm. Oh, and I hope you find something to eat. And then he shuts the door. That's what dead faith looks like. And now think about Rahab and Abraham. Rahab welcomed God's people in need. She showed them hospitality. She gave them shelter and protection. It was a uh, a friendly welcome, according to the writer to the Hebrews. And in Genesis 18, Abraham actually did the same thing. By the Oaks of Mamre, uh, Abraham welcomes three men. And interestingly enough, the text tells us that one of them was the Lord himself. But Abraham had no idea. Yet he showed hospitality. He gave them something to eat and he provided shelter for them. You see, James is contrasting the inhospitable nature of dead faith and the hospitable nature of living faith. His point is that living faith shows hospitality and mercy to those in need. It shows compassion to the needs of hurting and oppressed people. That's what true and living faith looks like. And so James ends this chapter with these words. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You see, for him, works are the lifeblood of faith. I mean, look at at his comparison. He says, like the body is dead if it's missing the spirit, so is faith when it's missing works. Notice he doesn't say that works are dead without faith. No, he says, 
Faith is dead without works. It's the opposite. Because for James, works are what animates faith. It's what, they are what gives life to our confession. Faith isn't truly alive if it cannot be shown by works. I want you to notice something in James's language in this passage. Uh, look at how many times he uses the words see and show. Right? Show me your faith. I will show you my faith. Do you want to be shown? Do you see faith was active? You see that a person is justified by works. I use those as filler words, <laughs> you know. Uh, but those aren't filler words for James. I think James is using them on purpose. Because for James, faith can be seen. That's what works are all about for him. Our works show our faith. Uh, my son's favorite activity by far and away, of all time, is pointing. You'll quickly know this if you spend any time with him. Uh, he points at everything because he wants, to tell, uh, he wants you to tell him what that thing is. Uh, I've turned his love for pointing into a game. Uh, because I want, I want to see what he can identify, right? I'll tell him, show me mama. He'll point to his mama. I'll say, show me Bonnie. Uh, Bonnie is his stuffed bunny. He'll point to her. Uh, but how does my son know such things, what those things are? It's because they have certain characteristics, don't they? My wife doesn't look like the bunny. And the bunny doesn't look like my wife. His mama is super pretty. She takes care of him. And he knows that. He can identify. And Bonnie has big ears. And he knows that. He can identify. And so how do you know someone has living faith? Well, they have works. You can see it. They show mercy and love. And Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's faith. That's faith at works. And so what do we find in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we find a faithful Savior who welcomed us when we were naked and hungry. Jesus was hospitable. He was a man of works. And his works showed who he was. They showed his complete faithfulness and commitment to us. And they showed his utter allegiance to his Father. And that's why Jesus said, Believe the works that I do, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. You see, by his works, he welcomed us when we were naked and hungry. He clothed us. Jesus bore the shame of our nakedness on the cross. He was suspended naked on a Roman tree for us, that He might take away all of our shame. And He clothed us in His righteousness. Uh, Jesus also fed us, didn't He? He willingly suffered hunger, our hunger for 40 days, and even, and even more at the cross, He offered His own body that we may eat of it and never hunger again.
That's the gospel. Jesus has come. The Son of God offers himself to us for the poor and needy, for the naked and hungry. And by faith, by faith, he welcomes us into his family. And so let me close with this reflection. I know it's getting hot. What does your faith look like? Well, God says, show me. Does it show mercy to the naked and hungry? Does it show compassion to the oppressed and the poor? Is it living and active? Or is it dead and lifeless? Does it close its eyes to the needy? Does it simply say, go in peace? Does it simply rely on what it knows about God? Beloved, is your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you love Him? Then may your works demonstrate your love for Him. That you may hear in the last day what Jesus says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. That's powerful. Our works demonstrate our love for Jesus himself. So what does our faith look like? Well, God now shows us what faith looks like, what faithfulness looks like in the bread and the wine that we are about to partake. Uh, Do you remember the showbread in the temple? Well, it was there to continually show God's provision to Israel, that He is the God who has provided and will continue to provide for them. It symbolized God's abundance among them, that their livelihood and our livelihood is found in Him in what He gives. And so it is with this meal. This meal makes visible His commitment to us, His faithfulness to His people. They show us that Jesus Christ did not leave us naked and hungry, that He clothed us in His own righteousness. And Jesus is the bread who came down to feed us with His own body, that we may never again be spiritually naked and hungry. Amen. Let's pray. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you praise and honor for your unfailing faithfulness to sinners like us. You have showered us with your grace and your goodness. In Jesus Christ, we have the riches of heaven. In Him, you have clothed the shame of our nakedness and you have filled our hungry spiritual bellies. We are abundantly thankful for your ever, um, ever, uh, never-ending mercy. Oh Lord, we, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.